thank you that you are joining us in this live broadcast today. I believe that you're going to be touched and impacted by the unconditional love, mercy and grace of God. For all of you that are first time viewers, you are so welcome to this broadcast of Dynamic Web Church. I know that this is a church where we preach the grace of God that impacts the lives of people. You are welcome. You can sit back, relax, know one thing for sure and, th- and th- it is this that you will only hear the grace of God. If you watch this in the live part, if you watch this um, in the archive later uh, today, later in the Sunday, it doesn't matter. Just experience the peace of God that is towards you. You know, it comes towards Christmas time and the thing (coughs) that's in the hearts of people is the birth of Jesus Christ. And you'll find many different theories, many different doctrines going out concerning Christmas. Some people will say, well, it's not the birth of Jesus that was so important, but... His death and resurrection and all of that. Well, I've got good news for you. When Jesus Christ was born, the, the moment He was born, angels and heavenly hosts appeared to shepherds in the field and said to them, Peace on earth and goodwill towards men. In Afrikaans, it says, Fred op aarde and the means of velbaha. That word velbaha um, or goodwill means uh, good reputation. So what, what is wonderful, when Jesus Christ was born, a new reputation was added to mankind. Isn't that awesome? A reputation is that which hangs around you because of what happened in your past and because of the type of person that you are and that you've proven yourself to be. Excuse me. So, so one thing I want to say to you that is for sure is that when Jesus Christ was born, there's peace on earth. Peace, not peace, peace amongst men, but peace between God and man. And Jesus Christ, He is our peace. Hallelujah. He is that emotion of all my debts are paid between me and God. And that is what we can walk in and that is what the whole gospel of Jesus Christ is about. I want to just read a scripture quickly in Psalms. Very well known Psalm, Psalm 23. Just as an introduction before we go over to the worship. Right, for those of you that is, um, before I go into, the, go into this, for those of you that have questions, we will answer this just after the worship, um, just before we get into the Word. There were people that had questions that um, sent it to us via email, and we will do that just after the worship. Right, Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Now, I want to just uh, go to verse 1 and the importance of verse 1. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You know, the wonderful thing here is that it is written out of a relationship, the psalm. And when it comes to the New Testament, you know, when you say, The Lord is my shepherd, it is more, just in that, the whole psalm can be taken up just in those words. And then, The rest of the psalm explains what he was saying when he said, The Lord is my shepherd. I want to even say it, you can even make it shorter. The the emphasis of the whole thing is the Lord and who the Lord is. And that's why when we speak about the topic of faith, we're going to speak about faith and to God against deception today. Um, It's so important to have the correct information about God because... If I tell you the Lord is my shepherd, but your connection about who God is, is one of, He tests me, puts me through hard times. He, 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 he takes me, uh, you know, He can take things away from me. Like uh, last night we visited friends and um, we watched uh, like a, 
it's almost like an idol show type of thing in, in South Africa where they had this guy that, that was singing so well and, and the lady that was hosting the show said, you know, God has blessed you with such a beautiful voice and now he's got the authority to take it away anytime he likes, so sing as if it's your last time. <laughs> well, if you say that Lord is your shepherd, you must read it like this. The, the Lord is my shepherd and I worry every day because I don't know what I'm going to lose next. You see, we cannot have that mentality when it comes to the Lord. Um, we must have the mentality and, and understanding what David had here. He said, the Lord is my shepherd, therefore I know I shall not want, because in His person is provision. Hallelujah. He makes me lie down in green pastures. In His person is my comfort. He leads me beside the still waters. In His person is the the, uh, uh, his person quenches my thirst. He restores my soul. In His person is recovery for anything that could have gone wrong in my life. So, it's all about the person of God, who God really is. And just do yourself a favor. I'm not going to go through the whole of Psalm 23 that way. But go through Psalm 23 and read it from the perspective of understanding the person of God. So, when we say the Lord is my shepherd, it is connected to a person. It's connected to the personality of somebody. It's connected to something that's in someone that makes him special, that makes him different, that makes him holy. The word holy means to be set apart. God has set himself apart for our salvation. God has set himself apart for our restoration. God has set himself apart, and that's why we say he is holy to be merciful towards us. God has set Himself apart for being gracious towards us, influential towards mankind by who He really is. And He has set, him part, he has set Himself apart, made Himself holy for us for this purpose so that we can be set apart for Him, which means that we can be changed from how it is in this world now to receive the very being of God as a free gift. Hallelujah. Man, just that, if you, could have, if you can just listen to this introduction part and just meditate upon that, that is enough to keep you studying for the next couple of months. Because there's so much truth just in what I've just said concerning Psalm 23 and the person of God. Now, we're going to go over to worship. And as we go over to worship, I just, I just want to say this, some practical things is that the bitrate at which we broadcast now is a lower bitrate than what the worship broadcasts at. And we can't change the bitrate of the worship. So if the worship, all of a sudden, the broadcast isn't smooth, don't switch off. After worship, it will be smooth again like what it is now. But um, enjoy the worship and just know one thing, God loves you unconditionally. And from that perspective, we sing and we worship God. Enjoy this. Well, thank God that we can worship Him from the perspective of the grace of God and the unconditional love of God. We're going to just answer some questions quickly, or just one question. There was somebody that um, asked me why the Lord um, still chastises His children if He already thinks that they are perfect. You know, so many times um, <clears throat> people stumble over the Scripture because of the chastisement of the Lord, thinking that it is, um, you know, people will be punished by God, and that's the chastisement of the Lord, and hard times is the chastisement of the Lord. And I just want to go into the context of Hebrews quickly. The book of Hebrews was written to the Jewish people or the Hebrew people or, the, or Israel. People that saw justification by what they did. And then, 
especially if you read James as well, there was great persecution amongst the, 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 the Christians or towards the Christians that believed in Jesus Christ and that we were set free from the law of Moses. And this persecution was sometimes even unto death. Jesus Christ had, uh, I mean, he was persecuted, there was bloodshed, there was uh, martyrs that died because of believing the gospel. But then there was the people that the Hebrew writer wrote this to, they never resisted in such a great way. They were actually not really um, persecuted under such strict persecution or hard persecution. They just had some persecution like people might, what people might say about you or something like that. And then, okay, let's then read Okay, then we get to chapter 11 and the whole book actually comes to chapter 11 where it tells them that it's all by faith. That by faith we've got access into grace and it's not by works. And this whole book was a great, uh, a big correction uh, um, of what they believed. They corrected them saying, listen man, you are believing wrong. So God's view of them never changed. They were believers, I think most of them, that this was written to, and it was also can definitely be directed to, to a Hebrew people that does not believe at all. It was directed towards them, it was said to them, listen, this is what you believe, but now you should not let it go. You should continue to believe, because faith is the only way. They received persecution, they don't want to fall back under the law. So what the correction here is, and the chastisement here is, is not towards their identity or towards their... Um, righteousness in the eyes of God, but it was towards their faith and what they believed. So God still thinks that these people are righteous, but He only corrects what they believe so that they can also believe the truth. Amen. Now that is basically it. Let's just read this and you can see it for yourself. Wherefore, seeing we also have, seeing we also are compassed about with a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Now, this sin that easily beset us is not talking of um, of just, you know, thinking wrong in the sense of you, you thought bad about your neighbor or you cursed or something like that. That's not the sin that it talks about. Um, that is the fruit of the real sin, which is to start to walk in unbelief. Because he says here, listen, let's look at these people that continued in faith and they weren't tired, they weren't getting tired, they continued. Some of them died without receiving the promise. Doesn't matter, let us continue and look at these people around us, how they lived by faith. For Abraham lived by faith, he talked about all the faith heroes here. You know, Abel, he talks about um, Enoch, he talks about so many faith heroes here. And then he said, listen, I want you guys to continue in the faith. And that was his correction. He says, Wherefore seeing we also are compassed about with so great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that set before us. So the thing here was they weren't patient. They weren't patient enough. They believed that they will receive an immortal body. They, they believed that Jesus Christ would return and then it doesn't happen um, in the time they thought, but they were persecuted because they were perse- going through some persecution, then they said, well, let's leave this whole faith thing and go back to the law. You know, because we're believing for nothing and we are suffering. And then he goes on, he says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, 
um, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So what he's saying is, he's using Jesus Christ as an allegory and as an example of what they are going through. He says, listen, look at Jesus Christ um, and what he, what he has done. He endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. And now telling them actually, listen, endure this persecution for the joy that is set before you, which is the return of the Lord and immortality the rulership with Jesus Christ, a new heaven and a new earth which was promised by God. He says, just enjoy this, look at, uh, endure this. He says, look at Jesus. He endured and he received the promise. So you, and he just used Jesus now as another example of a faith hero. Verse 3, For consider him that endures such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. So he says, listen, look at what Jesus went through. Look how he continued to believe. Look at the faith heroes, how they continued to believe until the end. And they all did receive. Actually saying, what you believe is the truth. Just don't become tired of it. He says, for if you don't look at this, if you don't look at how Jesus continued, if you don't look at how Paul continued, doesn't matter how he was persecuted, he says, you will faint in your mind. Your mind will become tired and say, well, this is not the truth anymore. You are not, it says, you have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. Now, that scripture so many times is so taken so <laughs> out of context, saying, you know, that we must strive against sin until we bleed. Now, I want to say this, how do you struggle against sin until you bleed like the sin of, say, like gossip? Do you resist so much? You're sitting there, you're resisting, you're not going to gossip until you bleed. <laughs> man, you cannot resist sin of gossip and the sin of thinking bad about your neighbor or saying something bad until you bleed, my friend. That's not, and if you do it that way, it, 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 it's actually just, um, man, that is ignorance. That's not victory. Victory is not sitting, striving against sin until blood comes out of your forehead, because that is just hiding your sin until you bleed. That's all it is. So that scripture, please, for anybody who thinks that's talking about resisting against sin, as sins, uh, what he's talking about sin here is, and he explained it clearly in the whole book here, that sin is unbelief in Jesus Christ. He says, you guys have not resisted to sin, which is to disobey Jesus, and his command towards us was, to have faith and to believe um, unto blood. That means to be persecuted for what you believe until you have really been beaten up and um, it was unto blood. He says, and, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks unto you as unto children. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when you are rebuked of Him. So, what he says is, listen, God has rebuked you guys before, and He's spoken to you before, and in this letter, correcting you, saying to you, listen, don't fall back under the law. So, um, this was not directed, like I said, towards their righteousness. God still saw them as righteous, God still saw them as clean, that's why He told them to continue to believe in what they have believed before the time, and not to turn their back on it, but continue to believe. So, that is basically the answer to that question. If there's anybody that's got any questions concerning anything, just write it to live at dynamicministries.com or info at dynamicministries.com and, um, and I will answer this in the live broadcast for you. I'm not very good with typing, you see. 
I don't like to type a whole page or a letter. So I'll do it this way and then many people can have access into this. Because if you've got this question, other people can also have this. Amen. Now, let's go into the word that I've got for today. <coughs> let's just recap on what we said last Sunday. And, and uh, last Sunday's message, I believe it was such a needed message into the, um, for the grace, grace churches. Why do we need to have faith? Um, and what we said, and I'm just going to do this in five minutes, is that faith is a persuasion that comes into your heart. Adam sinned, or let me, get, let me put the question first. Adam sinned, and through the sin of Adam, many people were made unrighteous. And Jesus Christ, He obeyed, and through what He's done, that same many will be made righteous. But the difference between Adam and Jesus is this. Under Adam, they didn't need to have faith to have that sin in their lives. But under Jesus, you need to have faith to, to have that in your life. And let's go and have a look at that scripture quickly. Um, I mean, there are, there's, so, there's many scriptures that says this. Um, and that's why I just want to say this. Anything that tampers with your faith is an enemy of grace. Because anything that says you don't have to have, to have faith um, will get you to a place where you will not have access into the grace of God. In other words, experiencing the grace of God. You know the word Jesus or Yahshua, there's two words. It is Yah, which is the word God, and then Shua, which speaks of salvation. In other words, uh, Jesus, name Jesus means God our Savior. And it says also, you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And the word saved, or to save, means the following. Or literally the word saved means to experience the glory um, of grace. That's what it is. Shua means the experience, or the understanding, more direct towards experience. If you interpret into the Hebrew picture values, it says... It's an experience of the glory of grace. So, the fact, that there is, the fact that there is salvation doesn't mean that you are saved because you need to experience the glory of His grace or the splendor of His grace. John chapter 1 verse 12, it says, um, But as many as received Him, to them gave He the authority to receive the being of God, even to them that believe on His name. So, who receives the authority to, to receive the being of God or to be born of God is to them that receive Him. And then it says, even to them that believe on His name. Now, that was just an old King James way of saying, an old English way of saying that these are those. That's a better way of saying it. Let's read it that way. But as many as received Him, to them gave He the power to become the sons of God. These that receive Him, these are those that believe on His name. So, we clearly see that in the New Testament, that the believers, people had to have faith in order to have access into grace. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. It says, by faith we've got access into this grace. And it, let's just read it quickly. Um, this is going to just bless you. But then when it comes to Adam, it was not by faith. You know, they didn't have to have faith to... Um, to have access into death. And now it sounds as if the salvation plan of Jesus Christ was not as powerful as the destructive plan of Satan in Adam. It says, Therefore being justified by faith, 
we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand, and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now, I mean, you can't, and that's just, just after Romans chapter 4, which the whole chapter is all about Abraham and faith. So we can't, you know, the moment you say that you don't need to have faith in order to experience the grace of God, you can throw basically every second page out of the Bible in the New Testament because it speaks about faith. Now, one thing that I also believe that was twisted in the Bible was we got what we call the faith movement, which was actually human effort faith. Faith as a result of willpower. Now, it's like I spoke to a friend of mine, Francois. He said to me, you know, it doesn't matter how strong a person is, if he picks up anything, after a while they have to put it down. If I take this paper, I mean, this, this weighs, I think it's, it's one square meter weighs 80 grams. Okay, now this isn't even a square meter, so this can be 10 grams or 5 grams. If I hold it like this, do you know what? It doesn't matter how light this is. If it's very light, I can hold it quite a long time by my own power. But after a while, I have to put it down. Even a feather. Even just air. If you just hold air. Or a drop of water. It's too heavy for you to hold for time and eternity. That's why we need a Savior. Because in our own ability, we can never make it. And faith was preached... um, at a certain time as a work of man something that he has to work up by his willpower so you can work up faith or persuasion that something will happen you know uh, uh, and and then then faith is just by human effort directed towards stuff which is not what faith is at all and we're going to just speak more about what faith really is today so we don't want this faith by our effort, faith by our works. We're going to push through. We're going to, yes, we, we believing it's going to happen. You know, like behavior modification, positive thinking, the yes man type of preaching. You know, that is, that's not a motivational speaking. You know, uh, just using the name of Jesus every now and then. Most of these messages these days, we don't even find the name of Jesus in it. It is just talking about Noah and Moses and Joseph and and those things, and what they went through, and how we put that into this life, and what, how, what Joseph did in order to get free, and what we now must do in order to get free, and all those type of things, and the faithfulness of Joseph, and the faithfulness of Moses, and how they just continue. We can't use that. It must always be directed towards Jesus Christ, and then seen in the cross of Jesus Christ, and then true faith comes to our hearts. So, we can't say that we don't need faith. It's impossible. One thing that we must know for sure is, if you say, if, if you hear this and you read in the grace of God and you say, well, you know, I don't know if we need faith. And you hear this faith message and hurt comes to your heart and rejection comes to your heart. It's not because of the truth that I'm preaching. It's because of a concept of what you have about faith long ago that was ministered to you from a law perspective. That's why you will want to reject. But the truth about faith is this, is it is more natural for you to have faith than what it is for you to try and have access into anything by works. It's easier, listen to this, by hearing the correct message, it's easier to have faith than what it is to through works have access into anything. It's easier to trust God than to say by being faithful to this thing, I'm going to be blessed. Yet so many million, millions of people, you know, are just into this works thing. But it's easier to believe because we've been made by God to have faith. 
we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, of which one is to believe, to have faith. Okay, so faith is natural, it's easy, it's something that is a fruit of hearing the word of God. It's not something you work up, it's not something you try to have. It is something that just happens to you as you hear the truth of the word of God. Now, in the Old Testament, people had access into death, not by faith, for it was not a faith movement, if I want to put it that way. It was not a faith dispensation. It was a time of works. So they had access into death by works. Now, or through the law. And the law was written on the hearts of every person. So every person had this thing inside him. I must work in order to, um, to, to, to have access into eternal life. And the moment they tried to work, they died. So by their works, they've had access into death, and a dispensation was placed over them. Um, a, a, a way of thinking was placed between God and man that says, by your works you'll have access into uh, the, the blessings of God, and into the character and the nature of God, by works. Not by faith, by works. So you can't say, well, they didn't have to have faith to enter in. Yes, they didn't have to have faith. They had to work. In the New Testament, as much as what they didn't have to have faith to enter into death, that's how much you don't have to have works to enter into life. You don't need works. It's not an, a time of works. It's a time of belief. It's a time of faith, which is natural to us all. You know, um, the reason why many people continue in the law is because of their belief. As a man believes in his heart, so is he. Now, that is not... yeah. I don't want to get technical about that, but as a man believes in his heart, so is he. That's what manifests in his life. If a person believes that by works I must be blessed before God, the power that will keep you um, in that ministration of death is your belief. But what will bring forth the death is your works. What you do. Well, by my works I'm going to be justified. If you believe that, your faith is directed towards something that's wrong. But God came and said, listen, I have come to give you the right thing to believe. People believe anyway. You know, people believe anyway. It, 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 you, you believe something. and Everybody believes something. The most lawful person in the world, the most legalistic lawful person in the world is an atheist. He's, the, he's got the strongest faith in the law system because he says, I need no God. There is no God. I am what I do. That is the most religious um, person. Is a is an atheist. Somebody that says he believes there is nothing. He's actually the greatest believer in the negative. But what I want to say this is the access that you have into death is by works. And in the New Testament it is by faith. So we can't say, well, it's like saying, you know, why does the New Testament, you know, it's like an Old Testament guy saying, um, say if Moses should have come now and said, yeah, but these guys, they don't even need works to get into righteousness. That's how people say, well, they don't even need faith to get into death. You see, if we can realize that, that by works they've had access, we say, okay, that was just a different system. It's not all of a sudden, now we must work to believe. The works thing was already in their hearts. In the same way, faith is naturally in the hearts of people. People out there, they want to believe. In the New Testament, this dispensation, people don't want to work, they want to believe. 
but they believe wrong things. And that's why God says, go and preach the gospel, for I've created man to believe. So, I can't in any other way, there's no other way in which God could save man, by the pre- but by the preaching of the gospel, so that they could believe it and have access into it, because that was the way in which man was created. You know, it's like, um, it, it's like say, say I have made a lot of um, boats, you know, I've, made, I've, I've built ten rubber ducks, but they're on dry ground. And now we've, we've, we've built a dam, and now these boats can go and be what they've been made to be. What needs to happen is, somebody needs to know about that water, so that this boat can be taken into the water and be itself. We can't say, well, we just drive this thing on dry ground. It's not going to work. So I want to say, that because it has been created to be in water. In the same way, it will not be right for, it wouldn't be a complete salvation if God would have said, listen, man doesn't have to have faith. Because then man wouldn't, wouldn't have been himself, wouldn't operate and function as he made him to be. That's why he brought Jesus Christ, obeyed now behalf, so that there is something that is right and true and concrete, that is real, that we can believe so that we're not deceived. Believing something that isn't there is just deception. But Jesus Christ, He came and did everything for us so that when we hear this, we can be persuaded of it and believe something that is real, that's really like that, so that it can manifest in our lives. So now He says, listen, I've made people to to function, to get into like the boat, into the water and be itself through faith. That's how I made man. So, the only way in which I can get man to be restored to the original image is by him having faith. So, give the gospel to people that they can preach it, that people can hear it, so that they can be fully restored to the original blueprint from which they were created. Amen. That is it. Now, that was just a recap of the previous session. Now, the word faith. The word faith means to be persuaded. Now, to be persuaded is um, to be convinced. You know, I made a study of this in, in the Webster's Dictionary. To be persuaded is to be convinced. Now, you might say badly, but what is it to be convinced? You know, I always say, okay, if I tell people to be persuaded, now, what will they think of being persuaded? Now, what is persuasion really? Now, then I see, no, it says no, it's to be convinced. Okay, now, when are you convinced? The word convinced means to be satisfied with the facts. It's when you experience rest or satisfaction with the facts that you see. So, you are persuaded of the gospel when you read the, the, the good news of Jesus Christ and you find you are now satisfied with all these facts. It is like that. That's when you are persuaded. That's why it's so important not to listen to anything else but the gospel of grace. Like what I was preaching now, that produces faith. When I explain it to you, what I've just said about Jesus and the recreation of man, and we need to have faith, and why we need to have faith, I'm explaining the work of the cross. As I do that, it's another thing that you can put down, another fact that you can look at, and when you look at that fact, you'll find rest in that fact. 
So if you put all the facts, yes, he did become a human being on our behalf. Yes, he obeyed on my behalf. I know that for a fact. He died on my behalf. He was resurrected on my behalf. When he did this, he restored me to a person that is complete as he is functioning um, by the principle that says, I... I'm persuaded about something that flows out of my being like God is. Oh yeah, I see all this. Now it makes sense to me. I am satisfied now in the facts. Oh, that is called faith. And that is the foundation from where you expect stuff to happen. And the context of it in Hebrews 11 is not a new car and a house, but the return of the Lord Jesus Christ and an immortal body in his return. That's what it's all about. But we can also expect financial provision because we see that in Corinthians. We see what, they've been, what they expected. They knew that they will prosper. But one of the greatest things is like I, I, I said, uh, you know, the word content doesn't mean, well, you know, I am willing to settle for less. The emotion of I am content is not to say in your mind, well, I'm willing to settle for this old house and this old car and I'm willing to settle for second-hand clothes. That's not contentment. Contentment is not the fruit of being satisfied with nothing. Contentment is the fruit of a revelation that you have God at all and that nothing can be added to you. That is, out of that flows contentment because you feel satisfied. And when you feel satisfied, you know, it's like if I had a a, a plate of food and I'm satisfied, you know, and that which I have eaten has satisfied me, you can come with anything, I will say, I'm okay, thanks, man, I'm okay. I don't need any more. Because I know what I have. You know, it's like um, if, if... if I've got three televisions at home and somebody comes to me and says, listen, Beth, you know, I want to, you can do these five things to have this television. I will say, listen, I'm okay. Maybe I don't even see my televisions, but I know what I've got at home. You know, maybe I don't see a television right now where I am in the mall that belongs to me, right there. I just see the one that I must still get. But because of a revelation of what is already at home, I, found, I find contentment in my heart and I cannot be tempted with something else. So contentment, people, uh, is not an emotion of being willing to settle for less. It's an emotion that comes to the heart of people and comes into the minds of people when they have a revelation of all that they possess. And a want for stuff, let me put it this way, a desire for things financially, talk about finances quickly, a desire for stuff, a desire for more, you know, a love for money, uh, the mindset that says gain is godliness is a 100% fruit of the lack of revelation of knowing what you possess. Or, let me put it in other words, it is a manifestation of the revelation of your poverty that you have. The poorer you think you are, the more stuff you want. That's just the way it is. So, we function out of that. And I use that as an example to say to you how we function by our persuasion. So, faith is to come to a place where you rest your mind. I don't want to say rest your mind. It's when you are satisfied 
with the facts. I'm satisfied. These facts are enough. I'm satisfied. I am the righteousness of God. Everything that is in heavenly places has already been given to me. As He is in heaven, so am I. I am in need of nothing. Um, like Paul, like, like John says in 1 John, you, you've got the Holy Spirit and you don't need anybody to teach you. I've got it all in Christ Jesus. And there's only one thing I expect to manifest and that is in the return of the Lord, my glorified body. And I've already got that glory, that, that anointing unto that, I already possess that. So, it's not as if I will still get something one day that will give me a glorified body. I already got it. It's just a time in which it's going to manifest. Like I gave the other example, if you've got a, uh, uh, you know, yesterday I bought a plane ticket to fly to, um, to, to America. I've already got the ticket. I can't say, no, well, I don't have a flight to the States, you know, because I haven't because I'm not on the plane. No, no, I've got the ticket. I've got the proof, it's mine. I've already possess it. I've got it. It's just time that must go past. Then what I've got will manifest. So it's not that I don't have it. I've already got immortality. I already have it. But the time of manifestation is in the return of the Lord. But we've already possessed it. Isn't that awesome? So many times we get a bit confused about those things. So faith is to be persuaded about the facts. When you get persuaded, when you hear that fact, upon fact, upon fact, you find that persuasion coming into your heart. Amen. So, that's very, very, very important. Out of that faith, it will flow over into your mind. Because with the heart, we believe unto righteousness. You'll find that persuasion in your subconscious mind. You'll find that persuasion in the depth of your being. And then out of that persuasion that you have, you'll find that when... Stuff comes to your mind that says, you know, you're not going to be provided for, you're not going to have enough money, you're not going to have this, you're not going to have this. You find that that doesn't cling to you because your mind is at rest in your persuasion. Hallelujah. It's at rest because of what you persuaded of. And what you are persuaded of must promote God as a God that is your friend. God as a God that is always stable and constant, a God of integrity. And like Vessel and I just spoke just during the worship, we, we just chatted to each other. <coughs> and, um, and, and he said, you know, if we still want to go back under the law, it's because we have not been entertained enough. And because the word friendship means is to be, uh, it is somebody that is willing to entertain you until you desire his presence. And God is our friend. And you haven't been entertained enough by the facts of what Jesus Christ has done until you've come to a place where you say, I just feel satisfied with this now. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. So, know this one thing, that the obedience that Jesus Christ uh, demands of us, if I want to put it that way, is, the, uh, is, 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 is obedience towards what He commanded us, which is to believe in Jesus. I want to just read some scriptures. Romans chapter 1. I want to just chat a little bit about obedience and then we're going to go to Colossians chapter 2. I believe that there's a lot of nuggets that we're throwing around today that you can really make use of. Amen. You know, just before I say this, you know, I get people asking me questions and, and there's different questions that people ask. The one guy asks a question because he because you just want the confirmation of what he believes. 
like somebody would ask me a question and say, Bathy, but why, you know, does the Scripture say it this way? Like the brother that asked me about Hebrews, you know, why does the Lord say this? Because he already believes it. So this guy just wants, wants clarity about the Scripture. But then you get people that ask a question because they are questioning the Gospel. Now, I don't say, oh, you big sinner, ask the question so that it can be answered, so that you can get that facts, your facts in line, so that you can come to the place where you are persuaded. But know one thing, that if you are still doubting about the gospel and about the message of grace, you know, you're not a believer of it. You're not a believer of it. And we need to be, and this might sound very, very, very radical, but I want you to see how serious I am about this. I believe that there's people, you know, areas in which we could, cannot be convinced. You know, one guy, he might believe the message of God's grace, but when it comes to finances, he's still under the tithing and sowing and reaping thing and still needs to be convinced of the cross. But when he hears the truth about it, he will gladly grab it because God's Word already indwells him. The Bible says that um, Jesus said, you, rec- you don't receive my word for, um, for my word is not in you. So he says, you don't receive my word, for my word is not in you. You don't receive what I say, because the, the way I think is not in you. So if people already receive the grace, they take the grace of God, you know, by faith, by believing it, and there's an area of life where, there is not, where he's not persuaded, when he hears the truth about it, he will grab the word, for the word is already in him. So I want to say this, <clears throat> if you are still doubting the grace of God, if you're at a place where you say, listen, you know, I wonder about grace. I wonder, is it really what Jesus, is it really like that? Is it not by works? If you are there, I don't say you're a dangerous place. You are still seeking. But there will come a place where you will be persuaded. And the reason why I say this is to motivate you to study more of the grace of God so that you can be persuaded. You know, I'm honest with myself if I'm not persuaded about something. I say, man, I'm not persuaded about this. I feel in my heart that I doubt this. I'm double-minded about this. I'm double-minded. I don't... How is the works thing now? How, How does it work? I remember when I made my first study about finances. I went into the perspective, I don't know. I am in doubt about this. I don't know. And I made my study, but I was already in grace. So when I saw the grace of God in finances, I could really accept it and be set free. But if, listen man, if you doubt about this thing, don't go and ask the guy who dishes out the law what he thinks about grace. For he's going to make you doubt more. What you need to do is to say, listen, I want to be persuaded of the cross and the finished work of Jesus Christ and I give myself solely to the study of what Jesus Christ has done. For faith or persuasion or to be satisfied with the facts only comes by hearing the word of God. Now faith, like I said, I want to go back to this quickly, faith is... Is, is, like I said, it's a persuasion or a, to be satisfied with the facts. Because faith is a satisfaction that's in the heart of a person through the facts of what happened on the cross, that's why you can never have faith by the word of the law. Because the word of the law is not directed towards the facts of what Jesus Christ has done for you, but it's directed towards your behavior. 
That's why it's impossible to have faith under the law. You can have great zeal for the law, but you will have no faith. Or the type of faith you'll have, the, the, uh, the persuasion that you will have will be wrong faith, which is called by God unbelief. You've got a belief, but it's an unbelief. So, know this. By looking at anything else in Scripture than the cross of Jesus Christ, His obedience on your behalf, Him representing you and what He did for you, by looking at anything else than that, does not produce faith. And if it does not produce faith, you will not be experiencing the grace of God, which is the influence that God has through His Holy Spirit on your life. So you will be very busy with the things of God without experiencing the truth of grace. Man, you will be talking about peace. Oh, you know, it's so wonderful. Yeah, you know, the peace of God, the peace of God. Only talking about peace, but not knowing what it is to have your mind at rest because you are experiencing what it is not to owe God anything. <laughs> Man, you cannot, have, you, you cannot have faith without the true gospel. It's impossible. You have deception, unbelief, distrust. Uh, double-mindedness, unstableness. That's the type of thing you have when a mixture of the gospel is preached. So I want to say this to you, my friend, my brother, my sister, uh, uh, first-time viewer, whosoever is watching this, I want to say this to you. The only way for you to have faith is by having the true facts. And this is what it says in Romans chapter 1. Listen to what Paul said his apostleship was about. It says in verse 1, it says, Romans 1, 1, Paul, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separate unto the gospel of God, which he had promised afford by the prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So he talks about the gospel that has been promised by the prophets. Concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, now, that scripture that says, you know, we, we don't relate to any man according to the flesh, <laughs> doesn't say that we don't relate to them. Um, you know, so many times that scripture, I've, I've heard people take that out of context in, in hyper-grace, saying, and what I call the doctrine of inclusion, which is, is this all-inclusive thing, saying that nobody needs faith or anything. They say that we relate to no man according to the flesh, saying that we don't see anybody as a sinner. We don't see anybody as an unbeliever. We don't see anybody like that. We don't relate to them according to their flesh. That flesh, where it says we relate to nobody according to the flesh, in Corinthians speaks about um, not relating to a person as a Jew or a Gentile. That's what it talks about. But he is relating to people definitely in the spirit concerning their unbelief. Because he says, I know there's one thing that if one died, then all are dead. And these people, and I'm putting my own words, they don't believe it. Let me preach it to it, to them, you know. So, yeah, it's exactly just like that. So, what does it say here? It says, and declared to be the Son of God, uh, sorry, in, in uh, verse, verse 3, concerning His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David, according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. So, how, did, how was, 
what was the seal of sonship upon the life of Jesus Christ was, and that he was really the Son of God in human flesh was when he was raised from the dead. He says, by whom, by this Jesus, we and the power of God, we have received grace and apostleship for what? For the obedience to the faith amongst all nations for his name. So what he says was, I've received apostleship for this reason, that other people can also be obedient to the faith. So the obedience in the New Testament is obedience to faith. And what is this faith? This faith is the facts that is preached. What, what is the facts? The facts is that we are not justified by our works. We have already been made righteous by the righteousness of God. There is no law between us and God whatsoever. And that Jesus Christ made us righteous in His work and it is towards everybody. It is towards the whole world. Everybody stands in the grace of God and the moment they can see it and believe it, it is upon those that believe and they have got the right then to say, I, I am called a son of God with the nature of God. So, it is, listen to this, and, and the, what I'm trying to say to you is the importance of believing the correct thing. That's what I'm talking about today. So here he says that the obedience is towards the faith, towards the grace, towards what Jesus did for us, towards what Jesus commanded. And what did He command? John chapter 6 verse 28, they said, What shall we do to work the works of God? This is the work of God, that you believe on Him whom He has sent. Now, the work of God is that you would believe on Jesus. So, what would He do? He would get Jesus to do all those things. He will, man, send preachers, do whatever so that you can believe on Jesus. What is the work that people must do? Believe on Jesus Christ. For what? For salvation. To call upon the name of the Lord for salvation. So many times we think if we believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we believe that we must do everything Jesus said when He was on the earth. Listen, there was many things Jesus said, but He was actually saying something else. And it is the other things that He's actually saying that we must listen to. Jesus said, go and, you know, when the guy was healed from um, leprosy, He says, go and sacrifice that which Moses commanded as a testimony unto them. So what did they have to do? They had to go and sacrifice. That's what they had to go and do. Jesus Christ said, obey the whole law. No, I mean, if you must obey the whole law, get busy, my brother. Jesus said it. When we obey Jesus, we obey what He was trying to portray in His whole life of saying something. What does Jesus Christ try to say? If you must put in one sentence, what did Jesus try to say when He was on earth? He said, believe on Me. Believe that I lived holy enough on your behalf. Believe that I was rich. I became poor so that you through my poverty might be made rich. Believe that I deposit my spirit into you. Believe that I recreate you into the very being of God. Believe that. And that is what Paul said that he received a partialship for. So that people could obey the faith. That they could be obe obedient to the command of Jesus, which is to believe. To have faith. Now, faith is, and I want to say this again, faith is the, to be satisfied with the facts. 
So I want to say to every preacher that watch this, watches this, maybe you, the first time you watch this, you're checking out what is this ministry, Dynamic Love Ministries, what is Baptist, what is Grace Stream TV, what is all of this, you're watching this for the first time. I've got news for you, my brother, my sister. Without preaching the facts of Christ, the people will not have faith and they will be disobedient to Jesus and to God. And by preaching a message that says we've got access by our works, we are teaching people to be 100% obedient to Scriptures, but 100% disobedient to God and His plan for man. If you say God blesses me because I am so faithful towards people, I want to say this to you, you are preaching disobedience to Christ. You're actually, indirect, ignorantly saying, disobey Jesus, disobey God, and obey Satan. Now, that is very, very radical, but thank God for the truth, and thank God that we can say it in such a way that it shakes. And if you say, my brother, but this is shaking too much, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12 very clearly, it says that there will be one shaking again, And that is when every law system is shaken by the grace of God. So whenever grace is preached, there's a couple of things that happens in the the minds of law-based people. They feel shaken, they feel threatened, they feel, oh man, my foundation is shaken. They feel confused. Now, God is not the author of confusion, so if you feel confused when you hear the grace of God, no, it's not God, but something else that's causing that confusion, and the other thing that causes that confusion is that which is contrary to the truth, which is the gospel of grace. And the thing that's contrary to that is a legalistic, law-based mindset that is based in man's effort and ability to reach the level of God and the righteousness of God, by human effort. Now, man, I don't know how to say that more straight out. If I teach you today, by your hard work in church, God is going to see your faithfulness and now He's going to reward your faithfulness. I'm teaching you disobedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And obedience to the doctrine that Satan brought to Adam and Eve and said, you can be like God by having knowledge of good and evil. Now, I'm not saying that people in church should not be faithful. I'm not saying that people should not be committed. But what I say is, if you say God's now going to reward your commitment, then it's a, it's a violation of Hebrews 11 verse 6 that says, that those that come to God must believe that He is, in other words, that is the word, um, that is the name of God actually, is the self-existing one. He is existence. He, is, he exists just in Himself. You must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder, not of, <laughs> of those who are faithful in church. He's a rewarder, excuse me, is <clears throat> a rewarder of those that diligently seek Him. Not seeking their obedience to have access into blessing. He's a rewarder of those that seek God. When you read the Bible, what do you seek? Do you seek what you must do to be blessed? Do you seek, uh, if you're a pastor or a leader watching this maybe, when you read the Bible, are you seeking scriptures to see how people can be faithful and committed in your church? Or are you 
are, are you seeking God? When you read, do you see God? I want to see you. I want to see who you are. I want to see your person. I want to see your character. I want to see your nature. So that I can share that with people. Hallelujah. It's like a vessel said to me before the service you know, or during the worship. He said, you know, if, if we say we must be committed now to God and we, we preach, be sold out to God and let's say being sold out is a fruit of the nature of God in you. Imagine how sold out He is towards us. Imagine how sold out He is and how committed He is towards us. So just seek Him. That's all we have to do. So, that is faith. Faith is uh, the resting of uh, faith is to be satisfied with the facts. If once I'm satisfied with the facts, then I can rest my mind in the person of God because all those facts 100% portrays who God is. Amen. Hallelujah. Now, let's go to Colossians. Colossians chapter 2. It says here, For I would that you know what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh that their hearts might be comforted being knit together in love and unto the riches of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, (laughs) I want you to listen to this. So many times when we hear a, a law message, we think, oh, it sounds so wise. But wisdom is not hidden in man's ability to reach God, or in man's ability to get a breakthrough. If I tell you, listen man, if we get a hundred people to gather on a mountain top next to the town, and we're now going to pray together as men together on on this hill now, we're going to see this breakthrough now. It sounds so wise. It sounds as if agreement. It sounds as if something's going to happen. That's not the wisdom of God. That's not the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God is that we are knit together in love. In other words, let's have the same revelation on the love of God. It says, unto the Unto all riches. In other words, when we are knit together in love. I don't believe that is just loving each other. Because if just loving each other was unto the riches of the full assurance of understanding the gospel, there are people that love each other that don't even know the name of Jesus. So, being knit together in love does not just mean, you know, we love each other. It means we are knit together in this gospel of God's love, which is this, that He gave His Son so that we can live through His Son, according to 1 John chapter 4. We are knit together in this gospel of the love of God. We believe the same thing. We are of the same mind. And when we are knit together, our hearts, our belief systems might be comforted by being knit together in this love. Your belief system is comforted when you see another brother believing the same thing as what you believe. If I find 20 people always saying negative things about grace and whatever, my heart's not comforted comforted by that. But when I phone a friend that believes the same thing and says, oh, hallelujah, Baptist, we're running with this thing, man. This is the gospel of God's unconditional love. It cannot be, in Afrikaans, it can't be there's no end to the 
depths of this love. There's no end to the width and the height of this love. Encouraging each other, being knit together in this love. We find that in our belief systems, we are comforted. Why? Because we are being knit together in the revelation of the love of God. And this is, what is this knitting together? It is unto all the riches of the full assurance of understanding. So when we are knit together in love, my brethren, I want to say this to you. It's when we come together in the gospel of grace, sharing the gospel of grace to the place where our hearts are comforted and to the place where we all come to the riches of the full assurance. When we come together, when you listen to somebody preach the gospel, when you preach the gospel, when you fellowship with friends concerning the gospel, I'm not talking about preaching to people, I'm talking about fellowship now. When we fellowship, it must be unto the riches of the full assurance. In other words, it must be to the wealth that comes to your life. That is, to the full satisfaction of, that comes through knowing all the facts. And that is, that is the fellowship of love, my friend, when we are sharing this gospel of grace with each other, to the full assurance of understanding, which then flows to the acknowledgement, and which is the acknowledgement of the mystery of God, and of the Father and of Christ. And what was the mystery of God, the Father and Christ? And what is this mystery? It is Christ that is in us. That is the hope of glory. It's the mystery that a God would become a man, obey on our behalf, die on our behalf, be resurrected on behalf of man, and then give the nature of God as a gift freely unto man. That is true fellowship, my friend. That's true fellowship. And I want to encourage the body of Christ today. That, and, and I've laid the foundation of what is faith. What is true obedience. Obedience is believing what He said. And then when we come together as a church, or not just together as a church, or yeah, together as a church, like in Web Church today, or when you go to your church on Sunday, or when you've got a cell group meeting, where you've got a meeting where, which is dedicated unto, the, unto God and the Gospel, it must be something that our hearts can be comforted, uh, comf- comforted being knit together in love. Hallelujah. And unto the riches, this, this hearts must be comforted, comforted in love unto the riches of the full assurance of understanding. People, we need to come to a place really where we share the gospel in such a way with each other that we say, oh, I understand. This doctrine of, well, we don't understand anything, but we not just believe it, you know. Look how good I am. I don't even understand anything that God has done for me, but God, I don't have to understand. I just believe it. That's self-righteousness, my friend. That's not God's plan for you. God's plan for you is to understand. Amen. To understand, to see how this thing is knit together. When you get all the facts together, that they come to a place where you say, man, I'm satisfied. That's understanding, to know how the, the, the Greek and Hebrew words means the ability to take something apart and put it back together again, or something that is apart, to take it and put it together. That's understanding. I know how this thing fits together, how it's knit together. 
And that's what's needed amongst Christian people when they come together. They need to share the gospel of grace, what Jesus Christ has done for man. And I want to say it this way, any other type of fellowship concerning the gospel, I'm not talking about you as a, as a person, a believer in grace, going and sharing the gospel. It's like somebody invited me and, and um, you might disagree with this, this is just my opinion and what I feel in my heart for myself. Do as God leads you. But they asked me to join some fraternal. You know, and, and, uh, and, I, and I said to them, when the people come together, who speaks? They said, no, they've got somebody that normally speaks there. I said, I'll join if I can speak every time. If I can't speak every time, and when we talk about just other things, like organizing a meeting or whatever, I can go there, no problem. But when it comes to whose ministry, and we're now going to fellowship around the world, I'm not going to a place where my heart cannot be knit together with that of others in the love of God. I'm not going there. I, will not, I don't want to be there. I will go there if I can share, because there's a love in my heart. But if the system doesn't allow it, that I can even say a word, my friend, I'll go riding with my motorbike in that time and just enjoy and be encouraged by the love of God for me. But I'm not going to that meeting. So I want to say this to you. And, and, and this, this might be, maybe I'm too radical. But, man, this is the way it is in my heart. This is what I believe. In whom, listen to this. You must realize, and we're going to get to this part now, <clears throat> where it talks about being deceived. And this is what Paul wrote to church in Colossae because there came people that sound so wise that they deceived the people. And then Paul said, listen man, my, my, it says, I would that you would know the great conflict I have for you. This guy was in a conflict. He was going through a hard time. He was stressing because of people in Laodicea and for people he didn't even see in his face because I want their, that their hearts might be Comforted. I want them to be comforted in their belief systems because their belief systems weren't comforted for people came with vain philosophies and they came with vain deceit and traditions of men and basic principles of the world which is not after Christ and they deceived the body of Christ and that what it did was it tampered with their hearts which was their belief systems which brought them in a place where they weren't satisfied anymore with the facts because other facts were presented to them in the name of Jesus Christ. In whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And in this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. And I want to say this to you, church. I feel I want to cry. I want to say this to you, church. The, 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 the body of Christ. Be, comf be comforted. By being knit together in love. There's no comfort. There's no exhortation. There's no unity. There's no love. There's no understanding. And the full assurance of understanding in any other type of fellowship. And I'm not saying, well, let's, let's create our own subculture of Christianity. But let me tell you something. Every guy that comes and preaches good behavior is not a Christian, man. The people weren't Christian. You know, Christians weren't seen because of their good behavior. 
the, the thing that makes you a Christian is what you believe, my friend. Now, I believe that we must live holy. Well, okay, well, then a Muslim is a Christian as well, and a Buddhist, and a Hindu, and every guy in America, because every, and, and, and in Europe, and countries where they stand for good moral lifestyle. No, we are all Christians. No, no. What makes you Christians is what you believe concerning the cross of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something. The fact that you believe that Jesus died doesn't make you a Christian. The fact that you believe that He was risen from the dead doesn't make you a Christian. What makes you a Christian is what you believe concerning the fact that He was raised from the dead. There are people who say, well, He was, you know, Jesus died for the sin of the whole world, so what? There are many people today that believe not in Jesus, that write books, scientific books, type of, on facts, based on facts that Jesus did die, that He did live on the earth, that He did the things that the Bible say about Him. But they don't believe that it is applicable for them, and they don't make it, um, they don't identify themselves with it, and that doesn't make them, that makes them not Christians. A Christian is somebody that says, well, I believe that I've been made the righteousness of God free from the law. And that not by anything I ever do, I'll ever enter any, enter into any blessing or anything of God, save for what Christ has done for me, for He did it for me, and I identify with Him. That's what makes you a Christian. You're not a Christian because you go to church. What made people, they were called Christians in the early, early time because they were all the time preaching the enablement of God. What God did in Jesus Christ. Amen. Now that also had a manifestation in life. You know, like they lived holy and all those type of things. But they weren't just, and the Bible says that they will know that you are my disciples for the love you have for one another. And the love we have for one another is not by, listen man, there are people that love each other in this world. Do you think, listen, if somebody, I've seen people love each other. I've seen people die for each other. You know that it's all over the world. The, the, the people that, that, that would give their lives for their children and for their friends and those type of things, does that make them a Christian? It's not to say that he's a disciple of God if he loves somebody. The love that's talked about there is the love that's in Christ. The love that's a fruit of the gospel of Jesus. Not the love that comes out of human efforts. And this I say, and I want to use the words of Paul, I want to say it out of my own mouth because that's how I feel. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words, for though I be absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in the Spirit, joying and beholding your order and steadfastness of your faith in Christ. I want to see your order. What type of order do you have when it comes to your faith? That order is not order in the church. You know, nobody laughs and everybody sits and looks sour for five minutes. No, that order is, we believe it in this order. He became a man. He obeyed on my behalf, representing me. Died for me, resurrected, represent the whole thing. I believe that's the order. First Jesus, then me. First Jesus did it, now I'm in Him. First Adam did it, did wrong, Jesus came, did right, now I'm in Christ. I thank God that I can behold your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. How did we receive Jesus Christ the Lord? By faith. So I'm going to continue to walk by faith, by being persuaded of the facts. 
So when it comes to finances, I'm not going to be... And the fact that I'm persuaded of, before I come to finances, the fact that I'm persuaded of Christ is in Him and what He's done for me. So when it comes to uh, finances, I'm not all of a sudden going to have the facts in Abraham, or Moses, or Levi, or Malachi. No! I stick with the facts. Amen. Otherwise, I'm not in faith. If you cannot apply the cross of Jesus Christ to your finances, you've got no faith concerning money. End of the story. Verse 7. It says, Rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. Now, the philosophy, there's, there's this philosophy that I see these days, is that, let's got this, let's tell people how bad they are, and then we fix their problem. The guy feels good when he goes to church. Then we take scriptures, show him his sin, and then we give him a solution. Watch out lest you be spoiled by that. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. And after the now, what is this philosophy and vain deceit? It's after the tradition of men. After the rudiments or basic principles of this world and not of Christ. Now, let me tell you something. I want to just say this. You know, we can use farming and examples and uh, uh, things in this world to preach the gospel as examples. You know, like... Like Paul said, he said, look at the government, you know, they, who goes to war on their own expense? You can use that. But everything you use must first be in line with the cross of Jesus Christ. Because I can think of examples that's not going to fit. I know of, I can use examples of fathers and children, you know, there's fathers that will just beat up their children and say, you know, like a father would do to his son. So whatever example you use, Don't think because it's a nature principle. It's a God principle. There are basic principles of this created world. The Bible talks about here. That includes nature and all those type of things. It says there that there are people that will deceive you according to the basic principles of this world. So don't be deceived by the basic principle of this world. The basic principle of the new world that we part of is this. He represented me. And as he is, so am I. Whatever he did, I did. When he died, I died. When he was resurrected, I was resurrected. When he's glorified, I'm glorified. And I've got this glorification in earthen vessels right now, and it will still manifest. So, I mean, that's the principle. We don't walk according to the principle of the world. But if we, are, we can take a worldly principle, or a principle of this world, that emphasizes the spiritual principle, then we can make use of it. Otherwise, we can't. It's like, you know, if I, if I talk about pruning a tree. And I want to say, you know, when I cut that tree, you just see that sap going out, man. It's bleeding. It's feeling pain. And our God is going to come with His big pair of scissors. Oh, yes, and He's going to cut you to pieces. Now, if I want to use that, that's a basic principle in this world. That has got 
minus a billion to do with God's kingdom. It's got nothing to do with God's kingdom. Hallelujah. But we can use a principle of pruning in order to show the truth that we can say. You know, that God comes and He prunes. And what He did was, He cut away the law. He did cut away the law so that we can grow. Amen. That we can use. But, 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 but using a basic principle of the world and applying it just like that without applying it to the cross of Jesus Christ. Remember, any principle you use must be a principle that confirms the cross. Not the basic principles of the world. Let's not mix worldly principles with godly principles. Let's read it again. Beware lest any man spoil it through philosophy and vain deceit of the traditions of men, of the rudiments of this world and not of the Christ. For in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily and you are complete in Him which is the head of all principality and power in whom also you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Now what does that mean? That means, listen... Let nobody come with a basic principle and tell you you need something. All the traditions of man say you need something. For in Him, listen to Paul, in Him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. What does that mean? He comes and He, he brings the principle of representation. It dwells in Him bodily and you are a human being with a body. And that means that if it dwells in Him, the fullness of the God that dwells in Him bodily, then it means you have it. And then He says that in the very next part of the verse. He says there that um, in verse 10, And you are complete in Him. In Afrikaans it says, And you have that fullness. Because in Him bodily, it's in you bodily. Hallelujah. He's given it to me. That means nobody can come with some traditional way of thinking and, and, and the tradition he talks about here was circumcision was a tradition. <clears throat> you know, this is tradition. We must do this, you know. And if we don't do it this way, we're not part of the thing and this is wrong. I don't want to be taught out of traditions. And Paul warns us, in, inspired by the Holy Ghost and by God Himself, God doesn't want you to be um, walking off the traditions. The next thing he says here is that after uh, 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 philosophies and vain deceit, in other words, stuff that looks good, the teachings like, you know, the richer you are, the more of a man of God you are. The better clothes you wear, the better person you are. That type of teachings, that's not from God. After the basic principles of this world, the principle that says, you know, if I... Uh, um, Listen, there are basic principles in this world taught by Jesus Christ. It says, if you are good to people, they'll be good to you. But He didn't teach that, that you can be saved by that principle. He just says, listen, give and will be given unto you. If I give to people, people will give unto me. That's That's a general truth. And He was talking about forgiveness and living a holy life. And He said, forgive and you'll be forgiven. That's the type of things he says. But we can't take that principle and now work it unto our salvation. <laughs> because there's another principle by which we are saved. That is just good way. That's how we live amongst each other. 
Now we take that principle and we say, oh no, you know, now I take it to spiritual things now. If I now sow here, then God's now going to bless me. It wasn't never written like that. You can even take a thing Jesus Christ said and twist it to what He hasn't said and bring death into your own life by something that Jesus says by misunderstanding it. Right, I'm ending off. In whom also you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in putting off the body of sins. Now that is not you trying to stop the sin. That was him putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. That what means when you received him and by what he's done. Buried with him in baptism. What baptism? The baptism that he was baptized in. He died and then rose again. And I'm buried with that. Okay, through the faith of the operation of God. In other words, through the faith of how God operates. Who has raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, has he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. So how do we have the fullness of God? By God forgiving us all our trespasses. And we... Simply being persuaded of it. And how did He forgive us all our trespasses? Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances or laws that was against us, which was contrary to us. And He took it out of the way by nailing it to the cross. And by taking the law and all our guilt and nailing it to the cross, He has spoiled or disarmed powers and principalities. He has made an open show of them, openly triumphing, triumphing over them in nailing the law to the cross. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or respect to a holy day or a new moon or a Sabbath day which are shadows of the things to come but the body is of Christ. Let no man beguile you into, of your reward in voluntary humility and worshipping of angels intruding into things which they have not seen vainly puffed up by their fleshly mind and not holding to the head from which all the body by joint and bands having nourishment ministered and knit together increases with the increase of God. Now, well, I can't say more than that. Hallelujah. This will be up today, um, later on, just after the service, hopefully, if it's recorded correctly. Otherwise, we will upload it. We'll be on them today. So, go and listen to this again. Forward this to people. Tell people, something. tell people about this. They need to hear this gospel. Let this grace saturate your mind. Amen. You know, there might be many people here today that's watching this or in the years this will be broadcasted that's got sickness in your body and you need healing in your body. I've got good news for you that He qualified you for healing. He had enough faith to heal you. So you are already healed in Jesus Christ. And as you put these facts together, you find a persuasion that comes to your heart. Like now, as I said here, I feel so full of faith. I feel so full of satisfaction with the facts. And that is for you, like me. I'm healed. You are healed. God has healed us of all our pain. God has healed us of all our sickness. He has healed us. And that is for you. So take that and just say, Lord... The way I take this is by acknowledging that Jesus took healing for me when He was raised from the dead. So because He's healed, I am fully persuaded that I am in Him. Therefore, I am also healed. 
Father, in the name of Jesus, I speak the healing power of God. And I have spoken the healing power of God all this morning. Thank you for people that are touched by your unconditional love right now. And healed and delivered and set free in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. If you've, if you've never received Jesus as your Savior, the Bible says, whosoever believes on Him, <coughs> he is saved. And it's got access into the grace. So, as you just hear this, just say these words to Jesus. Say, Jesus, I acknowledge that you did this for me and I believe this. If you do that from that day, you've experienced the salvation of God in your life. If you've never done that, do it right now. Just after we, we go off the air, just do it. Pray to God and receive the salvation Jesus has given you. Amen. Thank you that you have joined us. We're going to play out with a song and it would be nice for us to hear from you. Um, any questions, please send your questions to uh, live at dynamicministries.com and I will answer it for you in the live sessions. Thank you so much and God bless you.